Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. This, welcome to our Sunday morning Bible class. We're so thankful to be able to teach God's Word on such a widespread basis through the medium of the internet and by means of these podcasts. Now, if you're in the Omaha area, we encourage you to come and be with us in person, study God's Word with us in person, and worship Him with us in person. Grow spiritually with us. Check us out. Get to know us. Let us get to know you at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ. Our church building is located at 3606 North 108th Street, right here in Omaha, Nebraska, 3606 North 108th Street. Bible classes begin at 9.30 on Sunday morning, followed by worship at 10.30. Sunday evening, we come back together at 6 o'clock for another period of worship and Bible study. And then in the middle of the week, Wednesday evenings, 6.30 each Wednesday evening, we come back together for midweek Bible classes. You're welcome to any and all of these services. But we know that there are people who want to be in God's Word. They want to study. They want to learn more. Even in the Omaha area, who are not able to be with us necessarily in person. But we know also there are people who listen across the country and around the world, literally. They want to be taught God's word. They want to study. They want to learn more fully. And so again, we're thankful to be able to teach God's word on such a widespread basis through the internet and by means of these podcasts. We're thankful you're there. We thankful you want to be in God's Word, and we're thankful to be able to help you along that line. Now, we encourage you to share these studies with everybody you can through Facebook friends, text messages, and other technological means, with family members, friends, work associates, neighbors, with literally everybody you can. Get other people into God's Word, and thereby you may help other people get to heaven. That'll be a great blessing for them and for you. And tell everybody about our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com. Click on the podcast button, sign up for our podcasting. It's free. It always will be free. And when somebody signs up for our podcasting, they will automatically receive to their smartphone or computer or whatever smart device they choose our Sunday morning Bible class, our Wednesday night Bible class, all of our sermons, and a Monday through Friday daily radio program we call Search the Scriptures, and a real gem, a short Bible class every single day, seven days a week, only about 13 minutes or so each day, but it's every day keeping us in God's Word and studying the Scriptures. We call that today's Bible class. All of that will automatically go to your smartphone or computer or whatever device you choose. It will be automatic, and it will always be free. So take advantage of it yourself and tell everybody you can about it as well. We're going to get back into our study from Joshua. We're in Joshua chapter 10 at this point. Now we have come through the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch as they're called, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We have been studying from the creation of mankind through Noah's flood, and then picking up in Genesis chapter 12, we began to focus upon Abraham and his bloodline through which God would raise up the nation of Israel, and through the nation of Israel, God would send the Savior into the world. What an exciting study this is. Now then, by the end of Deuteronomy, we find Moses having led the Israelites out of Egyptian bondage and through the wilderness wanderings for a period of 40 years, and now they're at the eastern bank of the Jordan River and ready to cross into the promised land. 
Now Moses dies on the eastern bank of the Jordan River. He never gets to cross into the promised land, but God instructs him to appoint Joshua, a dedicated follower of God, faithful, and a kind of a sort of a right-hand man of Moses through much of the wilderness wanderings. And so God instructs Moses, appoint him to be the new leader of the people who will lead them across the river into the promised land and will lead them into the battles of conquest. But now God tells the people, I'm the one who's going to give you the victories. You go, you do battle, you conquer those peoples, they are idol worshipers, they don't believe in me, they don't worship me, they don't follow me. So you either destroy them in battle, destroy their cities, or drive them out of the land. And Joshua and the people, they obey, to begin with at least. So their first battle of conquest is at the city of Jericho, and God instructed them when to attack, how to attack, by what means, what to do. And again, he said, you destroy that city. And God gave them the victory. He caused the walls to fall down that were the fortifying walls around the city, and they went in and they destroyed the city. And God said again now, you destroy all the people. They are not godly people. They are idol worshipers, and idols are not gods. They are just statues, images, carvings, and so on. And what would go along with idolatry in, in the, those times basically would be a great deal of ungodliness, immorality, and so on, sinfulness. And just the worship of idols in itself would be ungodly and sinful. Well, then they went to the city of Ai, and they defeated that city, and they destroyed it. And then we looked in chapter 9 of Joshua, where the men from Gibeon, and again, this was a new land to the Israelites. The Gibeonites actually lived within that land, the land of Canaan, but they heard about the conquests by battle that Israel had already accomplished by God's power, and so they were afraid, basically, of having to go up against them in battle themselves. So they tricked Joshua and the men of Israel into believing that they were from a far country and that they had traveled all that way to make a covenant with the people of Israel the nation of Israel. And so they put on old, worn-out clothes, old, worn-out shoes. They brought old, worn-out, repaired wineskins, and they brought food that was old and moldy and made the, gave the appearance that they had traveled a long, long, long way. And so they, they talked to Joshua and the men of Israel, and they said, we want to be your servants. We want, to, we want to have this covenant with you. And Joshua and the men of Israel questioned them rather pointedly, but they already had rehearsed what they were going to say or basically how they were going to try to get across, that they were truly from some far-off land. And ultimately, Joshua and the men of Israel believed them 
and made a covenant in the name of the Lord. And then they came to understand it was revealed that these were people of the land of Canaan, and being people of the land of Canaan, God had instructed that you either destroy them or drive them out. Don't enter into relationships with them, because by entering into relationships with them, you put them in a position where they can ultimately influence you to become idol worshipers with them. Now, there's the problem, and we've pointed out that, you know, again, probably a lot of people could reason, well, look, they did not have to keep that covenant because these men, they had deceived them. They had lied to them. It was subterfuge. But Joshua and the men of Israel took it seriously because they had sworn in the name of the Lord to create this covenant with the Gibeonites. So they did not feel like they could break the covenant. And so they told the Gibeonites, you will be our servants. You will serve us. But they allowed the Gibeonites to live and to stay in the land. Now, in chapter 10, in the first 27 verses, we find five kings from Canaan, five kings, Amorite kings, five different cities, five different kings. They hear about the conquests of the Israelites in the land and probably beyond as well. And so they make an alliance. They bring all of their soldiers together to make one massive army to go against the Israelite army. But God, again, he's the one, it is his power by which the Israelite army is victorious over and over and over again. And so he gives them into their hands. He causes, he blesses the Israelite army to defeat that, lar- that large army from all of those five kings, puts them on the run. And then as they are retreating, God is raining down large hailstones upon them and, and actually killing more than had died in the battle to begin with. And the five kings, they flee off to themselves and they hide in a cave. But their location is found out by some of the Israelite soldiers. And so Joshua says, seal up the cave. Don't let them out. And then pursue the retreating armies, what's left of them. Don't let them get into their cities because the cities are fortified. And so ultimately, when the battle is basically done, then Joshua allows the kings to be let out of the cave, and then they're executed. Again, God's instruction. Now, that might sound harsh to us. It might sound mean-spirited, but it's not. Remember the days of Noah. The people had become so ungodly because they had turned away from God that almost every human being, the Scripture says in Genesis chapter 6, that the thoughts and intents of their heart was only evil continually. And so God cleansed the earth through the flood, destroying humanity with the exception of righteous Noah and his family, and through them giving mankind a second chance. Well, again, idolatry, 
the idolatry that was practiced in the cultures of that day in that part of the world, uh, it was it, it carried with it immorality, ungodliness, sinfulness, and again, the very act itself was sinful. And so God was cleansing the land for the people that he had raised up, the Israelites, to be a pure bloodline, to be the bloodline through which he would send Jesus into the world as the Savior. And so that was the, the reason behind his instruction. You either destroy these peoples in battle because they're ungodly people to begin with, or else drive them out of the land, have nothing to do with them. Now, we pick up with verse 28 in, in, in uh, Joshua chapter 10, and this is a different battle. And we're talking now about the conquest of the Southland in Canaan. On that day, Joshua took Makeda and struck it and its king with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed them, all the people who were in it. He let none remain. He also did to the king of Makeda as he had done to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua passed from Makeda to all, and all Israel with him. In other words, this is a massive army of Israelites to Libna, and they fought against Libna. And the Lord also delivered it and its king into the hand of Israel. He struck it and all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword. He let none remain in it, but did to its king as he had done to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua passed from Libna and all Israel with him to Lachish. And they encamped against it and fought against it. And the Lord delivered Lachish into the hand of Israel who took it on the second day and struck it and all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword, according to all that had been done to Libna. Again, battle after battle after battle, and God, and it's by God's instruction, destroy these people or drive them out. And Joshua is leading the army of Israel to do exactly that in complete obedience to God's instruction. Verse 33 then Horam, the king of Gezer, he uh, came up to help Lachish, and Joshua struck him and his people until he left, until he left him none remaining. From Lachish, Joshua passed to Eglon, and all Israel with him, and they encamped against it and fought against it. They took it. They took it that day, and. And let me turn my page here. They took it that day and struck it with the edge of the sword. All the people who were in it, he utterly destroyed that day, according to all that he had done to Lachish. And so he was following a pattern. He was going from city to city. And again, these were to a great extent probably city, city states or kind of little mini nations, fortified cities. And they had their own armies, and, but Joshua was leading the army of Israel from city to city and defeating each army one after another, destroying the cities, destroying the people. And if there were any survivors at all in any of them, and so far we've not seen where there were any, then they would be driven out. Verse 36, so Joshua went up from Eglon, and all Israel with him to Hebron, 
and they fought against it, and they took it and struck it with the edge of the sword, its king and all its cities and all the people who were in it. He left none remaining, according to all that he had done to Eglon, but utterly destroyed it and all the people who were in it. Again, we don't read of any survivors in any of these battles to this point. Then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to Deber, and they fought against it. And he took it and its king and all its cities. They struck them with the edge of the sword and utterly destroyed all the people who were in it. He left none remaining who were in it. He left none remaining as he had done at Hebron, to Hebron, so he did to Deber and its king, as he had done also to Libna and its king. So Joshua conquered all the land, all the land, the mountain country and the south and the lowland and all the, and the wilderness slopes and all their kings. He left none remaining, but utterly destroyed all that breathed as the Lord God of Israel had commanded. Now again, this is a cleansing of the land. These people had become ungodly. And God was cleansing the land for what he had raised up to be basically a purified people, the people of Israel. Now, moving on down the road through history, they were going to become ungodly to a great extent themselves. But that would be on them and not on God. So, Joshua conquered all the land, the mountain country and the south and the lowland and the wilderness slopes and all their kings. He left none remaining, but utterly destroyed all that breathed as he or as the Lord God of Israel had commanded. And Joshua conquered them from Kadesh Barnea as far as Gaza and all the country of Goshen, even as far as Gibeon. All these kings and their land Joshua took at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Now, again, did Joshua do this on his own? Was he such a, a mighty, wise, tactically intelligent, from a military perspective, leader, general? No. God gave him the victory. God gave Israel the victory. All these kings and their land Joshua took at one time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. We can be more than conquerors in our lives here in our ongoing battle against the devil, not by our own power, but by the power of God that can guide us sustain us, protect us, and lead us, and give us the victory. The last verse in Joshua chapter 10, then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. Now the next chapter then starts to deal with the northern conquest, the northern part of Canaan, as Joshua would lead the Israelite army into battle against those kings and those peoples. We will see that they came up short, that just as God, Joshua and the men of Israel 
Now, this was by trickery, though, allowed the Gibeonites to stay and live on in the land. There would be some other peoples that ultimately would stay there as well. We need to understand when God tells us to do something, we need to obey. And we need to not obey in a piecemeal fashion. We need to obey completely. We need to follow his word, his instructions, his teachings. God knows best, and we always need him on our side. We cannot do life alone and expect to be successful from the eternal perspective. If we want that home in heaven, and that's where real life success lays, then we have to follow God. God is our creator, and God is our blessing giver, as James wrote in James chapter 1 and verse 17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. Everything that is truly good in our lives is a blessing from God. God loves us. He created us uniquely in his image. Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. He wants us to be with him forever in heaven. And there really is no alternative. If we, unless we want eternal condemnation in hell, there's no middle ground. If we want to live that blessed eternal life, then God offers that to us. But we must come to him and follow him his way in consistent faithful obedience. And that is the best way of life. A life of sinfulness is, is full of danger, disaster, and ultimately eternal destruction. Joshua, the army of Israel, during these conquests, were learning the lesson that walking with God in consistent faithful obedience brings the victory. Let's pray. Father, people all around the world, people all across this land and every land, so desperately need to come to you for true victory in life. But so many either do not know about you or are so caught up in some other direction away from you in their lives that they're facing ultimately the consequences of their disobedience, of their unfaithfulness. Help them to open their eyes and their hearts, Father, we pray, to see that victory is only in you through Jesus Christ. And help us as true Christians to be the examples and the shining light of your gospel message. Please forgive us, gracious Father, and hear our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.